Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Everything has an advocate. Have you noticed that? Everything out there has an advocate. People advocate for all kinds of things. There are now hundreds of organizations across the United States and around the world advocating, actively advocating for it to be legal and efficient for people to take their own lives. Um, They are called right-to-die societies or death-with-dignity organizations. They go by euphemisms like the Final Exit Network or Compassion and Choices, end-of-life resources. Um, Some of them come right out and say, you know, we are end-of-life Washington or we are uh, suicide assistance for for the Swiss. Like, right, it's a some of them are very bold and blunt about what they are advocating. Others are um, more tempered in their approach. You and I have an advocate the Holy Spirit. And the advocate is an advocate of life. So whenever you are led down a path of temptation to imagine that death is something that we should take within our own hands, um, let me remind you that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the living God, and he's an advocate of life. So why bring this up today? Well, assisted suicide laws across the country and practices across the United States have been liberalizing over um, the past decade or so. And although no additional states have actually legalized assisted suicide so far in 2023, um, several states that have assisted suicide or active euthanasia laws on the books have liberalized those laws. And so it's worth pointing out how the law is developing um, along, uh, along this front. And let me just come right out and say, every family is dealing with this. Every single family is dealing with the question of, you know, when it comes time, when it comes time, when death is coming, how actively do we assist the person we love in moving from um, the terminal nature of this life to um, the wide open expanse of the life that is to come? Like, I recognize Um, the challenge that you are facing here in relationship to these choices. And the more places across the country where it is turned into a choice, the greater the challenge for Christians in the face of it. So Vermont and Oregon um, became the first states to eliminate the requirement that in order to receive a lethal prescription, you actually had to be a citizen of their state. So it's called suicide tourism now, Washington and Hawaii have also expanded those who are eligible um, to receive prescribed fatal doses from physicians and other healthcare professionals. Um, so they, so the, these are the four states we're going to talk about. Vermont and Oregon, where it's now described as suicide tourism because anyone from anywhere can um, get a lethal prescription there. In Washington and Hawaii, it no longer has to be a doctor who prescribes the 
uh, fatal prescription, but it can be, quote, other healthcare professionals. Um, and so, uh, you know, of note, Nevada, uh, Nevada, uh, sorry, spoken correctly, um, narrowly averted becoming the 11th state to approve assisted suicide um, when the governor there vetoed legislation in June. Um, his veto came after leaders, um, Christian leaders from across the country, joined others in um, urging the governor to reject the bill. But, you know, you and I both know not not every single one of those is going to be veto proof across the country as they come up. And so if it's not an issue where you live already, it it's headed your way. It's headed your way. Um, and so we must be prepared as people who um, recognize that God is the giver of life and God alone is the one um, who has the right uh, over life and death. And so we need to be advocates of life at both ends of life, at all stages of life, under all circumstances of life. And then we need to remember we're not doing this alone. We do have an advocate, and he is the Holy Spirit. And so let us be advocating for the things that the Holy Spirit is advocating for. And in this particular conversation, let's be advocating for life. Jeff Barrows is going to join us next from the Christian Medical and Dental Association, and we're going to um, talk across a range of health-related headlines. How are you feeling today? How's that body moving? Um, are you moving your body? You know, all kinds of conversations related to our health. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Jeff Barrows is back from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. I'm so thankful that you're talking about these assisted suicide laws and the trends across the United States. This is one of the core issues that we at CMDA are advocating against. So very thankful that you're bringing and raising awareness on this. Thank you so much. And for resources related um, to this, you can check out what they've got posted in the resource section at cmda.org. Olive oil. Uh, apparently, my use of olive oil is a good thing. I know not to use it in a high heat pan because that's not good. But talk with us about unlocking olive oil's potential to battle against Alzheimer's. Yeah, and it's actually, uh, and I'm not sure exactly of the difference other than some chemical makeup, but it's extra virgin olive oil. And this has been found in multiple studies in the past to have a beneficial effect, uh, slowing the uh, cognitive decline and lowering the incidence of dementia from diseases like Alzheimer's disease. And it has lots of different chemicals in it. And the exact uh, basis of those chemicals and how they work has been unknown to researchers. So even though uh, artificial intelligence has been in the news a lot lately and not altogether in a positive way, um, there are good uses for AI, especially within healthcare research and and limiting it down. And so what these researchers in both the United States and and in the UK did is they trained a very specific AI to evaluate and understand interactions between 73 key proteins associated with Alzheimer's disease, uh, the genes that encode for those proteins, as well as uh, the key chemicals found within extra virgin olive oil. And then look at those interactions and compare how they, they work 
in in association with drugs that have been shown to be beneficial with uh, Alzheimer's disease. So it was a, an assignment that has hundreds of thousands of computations. And fortunately, they were successful. This AI was able to identify 10 specific chemicals within extra virgin olive oil that have the highest likelihood of possessing activity that would slow Alzheimer's disease development. So it saved many years of painstaking manual research and uh, it's a huge positive. And so it's an example of how AI in a very limited and controlled environment can be very helpful to us, especially in the realm of medical research. Yeah, super interesting. Um, I confess, I use it uh, at ChatGPT to like write haikus for my granddaughter. There you go. That's my <clears throat> my best use of AI today. Um, heat and pollution. Not, nothing about this surprises me in terms of increasing the risk of heart attack, but it's worth noting because a lot of us are living under the heat dome and with increased air pollution, not only because of fires in Canada, but in part because of that. So can you read us in on this? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, it doesn't surprise us, but it does confirm our, our fears, actually. And uh, that is that Chinese researchers, and that they did it in China because they have a lot more air pollution than we do here, even in the United States. And they specifically looked at what they called extreme temperatures, both hot and cold, and combined it with uh, an evaluation of the amount of air pollution particularly fine particulate matter in the air. And they had huge numbers. They uh, examined over 200,000 heart attack deaths over a five-year period of time. And they were really focused on the very smallest particulate matter that's 1 20th the width of a human hair. And especially with this pollution that's coming from Canada now, uh, they looked to see, is there this kind of association between these extreme temperatures and air pollution? And sure enough, and not surprisingly, uh, as you mentioned, they did find an association with heat, specifically when the temperature got to between 83 and 98 degrees Fahrenheit. And on days when the particulate matter was high and that temperature was high for at least four days in a row, the risk of death from a heart attack doubled. And that's significant. That's obviously. Uh, so uh, cold days didn't seem to make as much uh, of a difference. And the other surprising finding was that women seemed to be more susceptible than usual to this change, this addition of heat and air pollution. So the take-home message is really, uh, obviously, uh, if you're vulnerable to heart attacks, don't be out in high temperatures. And if you live near a city where there is a higher concentration of air pollution, especially this fine particulate matter, try and stay indoors as much as possible. I know that's completely impossible not to go outside, but try and make it so that you're doing it at each end of the day, if, if at all possible. All right. How is your sleep hygiene? What are your other uh, habits in terms of things that you um, do as a part of your life or don't do? Managing stress, maintaining a good diet. What else would be on the list in terms of healthy habits to increase your lifespan? That's up next with Dr. Jeff Barrows. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people. 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. 
I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word APP to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. All right, we're going to talk about dosing. How much physical activity do you need every day? How much uh, uh, of sleep do you need every day? How many positive social relationships? What's the dose, good doctor, that we need? And um, what are the eight healthy habits that we need to adopt to increase our lifespan? Well, Carmen, this is, to me, a, a fascinating study from a lot of different perspectives. Uh, but hopefully all your listeners want to live long and healthy lives, uh, especially so we can impact the world around us for our Lord. And so uh, this is a, an interesting study that came from the Veterans Affairs. And uh, one of the advantages is that they uh, keep track of uh, data on lots of people over long periods of time. So they observed over 700,000 people over eight years, uh, typically between the ages of 40 and 99. And during that time, 30,000 people died. And so they analyzed their habits. And as you said earlier, uh, they found that there were eight habits that uh, really allowed them to live much longer. And so they found that if a person adopted these uh, lifestyle habits by the age of 40, that a man would live an average of 24 years longer than someone who didn't have any of those habits, and a woman would live 23 years longer. So a significant difference in lifespan simply by adapting these habits, especially by middle age. So to answer your question, what are the eight habits? The first is being physically active, and by that they mean really about 30 minutes of exercise or activity a day, walking. Uh, certainly it increased if you run or jog or biking, but some type of activity for at least 30 minutes. Uh, not smoking is critical. Being able to manage the stress in your life. In other words, finding ways, whatever way is helpful, whether it be prayer, meditation, reading, uh, being off in a quiet place. People have their own different mechanisms they use to manage stress. Um, the fourth one is maintaining a good diet. An example is the Mediterranean diet. Uh, we talked about that a little bit with, with Alzheimer's disease that has been shown to slow cognitive de decline. Uh, it's the diet rich in nuts and uh, excellent diets. So that's the fourth habit. Not drinking alcohol to excess. So having maybe one to three alcoholic drinks a week is, uh, is ideal. Um, and then maintaining good sleep hygiene. The recommendation, most people don't keep this, but m getting at least eight to nine hours of sleep a night is ideal. I know we're all busy, we're all kind of shortening down and people say, well, I can get by with five to six hours. Well, yes, you can probably function for a while, but the long term, it's best to get eight to nine hours. Maintaining uh, positive social relationships is good and then not developing an opioid addiction is is another of the eight habits. So 
if we can get those by middle age, it really can lengthen our lifespan. I um, I'm sorry that I interrupted you midway there. I apologize for that. Um, I broke them down into a list of thou shalt and thou shalt nots because this is how I think. And this is I had to get some mental hooks where I could um, hang these things on the thou shalt not list is I, I summarize it this way. Do not pollute the temple. So mm-hmm. don't yeah. smoke, don't drink excessively, and don't develop, well, you could have any kind of addiction, but don't develop an opioid addiction in particular. So those are the three thou shalt nots, but they can be summarized in don't pollute the temple. Um, and then the thou shalt list, eat well, which I just describe here as eat like Jesus, which is the Mediterranean diet, um, sleep well, and that is the command to rest. I mean, even if we just thought about um, our daily need to um, allow God to be God and to rest and be restored, it would uh, move us in the direction of what our body really needs to thrive. Move well, um, and there you can just remember to walk your faith out with fear, walk your faith out and work out your faith with fear and trembling. Those are good motivators to move well. Manage stress, again, prayer, meditation, time alone with God, time in nature, um, actually just... Uh, considering the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding and living in that, um, the secret of being content, as Paul describes it, maintaining positive social relationships, that takes us all the way back to the recognition that it is not good for man to be alone. Um, Jesus doesn't just call us into fellowship with himself. He calls us into relationships with one another. And so there is a thou shalt not list, don't pollute the temple. Um, And there is a thou shalt list. And so uh, maybe consider today which of these healthy habits uh, you need to um, really adapt your life to in order that you you can live well in the temple of the body that God has um, provided for you. Excellent suggestions. And, you know, if the, also if you look at it, all of these things are in the Bible. If yeah, you're just amen. living uh, as, as Jesus did and walking uh, and following his commands, you will have adopted these eight eight habits. All right. And then um, uh, I appreciate that snacking is not on the prohibited list. So really quickly, can we um, can we tell people it's OK to snack as long as you snack on the right things at the right time? Yes, and that's a good thing because I love to snack myself. And so we are a snacking culture here in the U.S. 90% of people will snack at least once a day, myself included. So it was an interesting study of uh, a 1,000 people in the U.K. And uh, what they found, as you just mentioned, is that it's really the quality of the snack, not the quantity or the timing so much. And a high-quality snack is a snack with a high amount of nutrients, healthy things relative to, to calories. So examples are carrots with hummus, peppers, and guacamole. Uh, I love sliced apples with various types of nut butter, Greek yogurt, and berries. So handfuls of almonds, all of these things are healthy snacks. And uh, fortunately, uh, your listeners can snack away, especially if they're eating healthy snacks. Mm -hmm. Snack away, my friends, snack away. Jeff, as always, thank you so much um, for being with us. We really appreciate it. Great to be with you again, Carmen. That's Jeff Barrows. You can find him at the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Lots of great resources there for you. CMDA.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. What did Jesus say when he was asked, what is uh, the first and greatest commandment? 
Do you remember? Well, Jesus responded by pointing back to the foundational commandment that was given to God's people some 1,500 years earlier um, through Moses. So it's called the Shema, um, and it instructs us to love the Lord our God with all that we are, all that we have, and all that we do. So think about that. Love the Lord your God with all that you are, all that you have, and all that you do. And then Jesus says the second command is like it. Love your neighbors as you love yourselves. So how do you love God? And how do you love yourself? And how do you love your neighbor? And how do we do those things, remembering that the command is at all times, in all places and spaces with all that we have and all that we are. So how do we love God, self, and neighbor when we are consuming, relaying, and responding to the news of the day? Because it's, it's not as if, oh, well, my news consumption or the way that I engage in social media, that's not covered by the, the, the first and greatest commandment or the second. Um, no, it is covered. We're going to love God with all that we are, all that we have, and all that we do. So how does my love of God and love of neighbor um, influence how I consume, relay, and respond to the news of the day? How do I love my neighbor who lives physically next door to me? And how do I love the neighbor who only sees me on the internet, who only sees me online, who only sees my social media, who only sees what I like and repost? Rachel um, Whitman may seem an unlikely guide for the conversation about sorting fact from fake news. She's a librarian but she's actually an expert in fact-checking. So we're going to get equipped to evaluate sources of information and engage with our neighbors as people of truth, not lies. Um, So I want you to just consider for a moment, what was the last thing you heard or read online, and how did you decide whether or not it was true? How do we know, and how do we respond? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Rachel Whiteman is a librarian, which may lead us to just want to have a conversation with her about a night at the library. But we will resist that temptation and ask instead um, about what she knows about fact-checking. We want to commend to you her book, Faith and Fake News, A Guide to Consuming Information Wisely. Rachel, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. Could we have a night at the library sometime? Like, that would be so fun. I know. I know. A lot of people think that would be great. And, you know, whenever I talk about my book, I actually start by saying I'm not going to shush anyone either. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. Um, You serve um, as the director for instruction and outreach at Concordia University in St. Paul, just to give our friends who are listening a little um, a little context here. So let's just do a fact check. If we had been with you at some point yesterday or last night, where would we have been who might we have been with and what would we have been doing? Ah, great question. Well, if you had been with me last night, I was at the park with my son and some friends just hanging out and enjoying the beautiful Minnesota summer weather we've been having. Okay, so I love that. And I ask it for a reason, because even just in that brief exchange, you made choices about what information you were going to share. You could have mm-hmm. picked any point in the day yesterday and you could have told us anything and gone to any depth. So when we exchange information, 
we're making intentional choices about the information that we share. And part of that is what kind of response we want to produce in the other person. So that emotional response that um, the drivers of the news today, particularly in social media, but also in mainstream media, they're trying to drive a response. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's a really good point. I think, like you said, anytime we share anything, whether it's in person or it's online, there is a lot of emotions at stake. Um, And I talk about that a lot in my book. And I also provide workshops for churches. And I actually really believe that the beginning of any kind of fact checking starts with ourselves and Mm -hmm. our ability to notice our emotions and notice whether we feel really excited by something or really upset or whatever the emotion is. It doesn't even really matter what it is. Um, Just to notice that in ourselves and then use that space that we can create um, in ourselves to then decide how we want to respond. And maybe it is doing a little bit of fact checking, or maybe it's choosing not to share something, or maybe it is choosing to share whatever that whatever that response is. I really think it starts with that emotional response because so much of our online content is highly emotional. Um, And there's a lot out there, a lot of studies that are being done about that, about the emotional content and how it's how that leads to the spread of information. Um, And I think I read a I read a study that talked about how anger spreads really fast online when people are angry and the content is anger producing, then people are sharing it more like more likely. So um, yeah, it's really about noticing our emotions and paying attention to that and then choosing how we want to respond with that information. Um, so again, the book is Faith and Fake News, a guide to consuming information wisely. Rachel, um, there's a there's a lot of equipping that happens in this book. And so I want to invite you to unpack a little bit further what you just started talking about, because you give us this tool um, in the book that invites us to stop and ask, how do the facts, well, do the facts fit? And if so, how do the facts fit? So what what does that mean to to engage with this particular tool of asking, stopping and asking a question like, do the facts fit? Yeah. So I have intentionally included a lot of tools in my book because I feel like it's so important for us as people of faith to have steps we can take. And it's easy to say, well, do some fact checking or check your emotions. But without having some steps, it can be really hard to do those things. And with regards to checking our information, I provide some steps around when we're online, actually Uh, And I did this in actually a a group therapy session a number of years ago. And that's what got me thinking about how important this was um, in terms of our emotions is like as you're scrolling through social media or the news or you're watching the news um, and you hear a headline, you see a headline, um, literally pausing and and naming what is the emotion or judgment that you're feeling um, and And then reframing the story, the headline in very factual terms Um, and and actually taking that moment to say, okay, this is making me feel what whatever the emotion is, fill in the blank. And then pausing and literally saying, okay, you know, the headline might say X, Y and Z. But if you can reframe that in pure factual terms, what is actually happening in the story? Remove that judgment, remove the interpretations of it. You know, so-and-so gave a speech at this time. That's a, just a factual statement. Um, and then again, that that can, can create that space that I was talking about earlier to help you decide how you want to respond. And so I, in that, in my book, I outline these steps and say, okay, how do you slow down? How do you 
um, you know, notice the emotion and then do that reframing. And, and for some people, it might even be slowing down long enough to like write it down because our brains are going so quickly. Um, but it can also just be, you know, saying it to yourself. What are the actual facts of this headline? Not what is my interpretation of it? Every, um, we have to assume, I think one of the things that you communicate here, and maybe this won't be the first time that everyone has heard this, but um, every piece of information that is communicated um, is communicated with intent to produce mm-hmm. something, um, a change in the way that I think about something, an emotion within me, a response from me. Um, so it's not, there is no quote unquote straight news, just the facts, because the facts that I report about an experience that I have may well be different than the facts you report um, about the same experience. We both had the same experience, but because we are different, we report it differently. And Mm -hmm. so part of this is just like having the wisdom of acknowledging and knowing that human beings are Uh, are biased. And actually, AI is biased, too, for the people who think, well, once we get to the place where AI is reporting the news, it won't be biased. No, I mean, it only knows what we've taught it. And so that's, you know, it's got, you know, biased information going in is going to produce biased information coming out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of times people have, when I've done a workshop or talked about my book, people you know, push back a little bit on some of the tools that I've recommended. I I often recommend some of the fact checking um, news sites that are out there like Snopes or PolitiFact, and they'll kind of push back and say, well, aren't those biased um, sites? And I say, you know, everything has its its lens. It's everyone has that exactly what you're saying, that interpretation. And so I don't think it's worth us quibbling about what is the most neutral source, but instead learning to notice what the bias is and learning to recognize it and recognize the um, what that causes and stirs up in ourselves. Yeah. So this book is really about being intentional um, and being an intentional decision maker versus passively sort of like riding the tide of whatever others are fomenting, particularly in digital spaces. Um, introduce us to what, you know, you kind of call the information landscape so that we can see ourselves in it. Yeah. So I, I think as a, as a librarian, that's kind of the world I live in is, is looking at information. And to your point at the beginning, a lot of times people assume that means the books in the library, but it, it actually is so much broader than that. And, and so I'm trying to paint a picture in this book, just helping people understand that there is a lot of information out there and we don't always consider it information and we might not um, think of it that way, but every time we're online or on social media, on our phones, we are we are consuming information, whether that's a movie review, right? There's some big movies that just came out and people are all talking about them, or it's a restaurant we're trying to find, or it's the news. There's so much information that we have access to compared to like, you know, 150 years ago. Um, and so in the ways that we um, take that information in. And so I, I am encouraging us all to think about that landscape in terms of where am I getting information? What am I seeking? Um, it's not all bad, but I think the more we can be aware of what we're doing when we're online, um, you know, the more we can make intentional choices about how we're going to engage. It's the same thing when we go out into any landscape, right? We want to be prepared um, with the right tools, with the right gear. Um, you know, it's it's one thing if we're in an urban landscape versus out in the middle of nowhere, we prepare differently for that. And so I think also recognizing that there is an online landscape and information landscape all around us kind of 
all the time and just being aware of it so that we know we can be wise as we step into that space. That's so good. That's so good. Hey, if you're listening right now and you're um, and you're saying to yourself, I, I want I want another tool. I'd like to be more fully equipped in this area of discerning um, what I am taking in. I don't even want to just say reading because it's a lot of it is video and audio and it's designed with music um, and and moving things that move images that move very quickly. So it's a um, it's an experience often online um, of what we think is the news, but is it real or is it fake? So we want a guide to consuming information wisely. Rachel Whiteman has supplied that. The book is Faith and Fake News. Um, when we come back, I'm going um, I'm to ask this question. What is the difference between critical thinking and just being cynical? Consider that. What's the difference between critical thinking and just being cynical? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Rachel Whiteman is with us, among other things. She is the author of Faith and Fake News, a guide to consuming information wisely um, Rachel, what is the difference between critical thinking and just being cynical? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And this actually came up at a conference I was speaking at um, earlier this summer. And I really see it. I, I mean, there's a lot of ways to think about that question, but I really see it as, you know, when we are online or even reading the news or what, well, however we're consuming information, if we shift into a cynical mindset, we're probably starting to shift into pretty black and white thinking and kind of going towards those thoughts around, well, everybody thinks this, or I can't believe, you know, so-and-so said that. And um, this more, I don't know that I would use the word negative, but definitely a little bit more black and white thinking. Whereas I think when we are able to think critically about the news we consume, we're able to see a little bit more gray in the world, um, move away from that black and white thinking and find some nuance and say, you know, I might not agree with what they're saying, but I can see their perspective. And so I think there's that critical thinking and allows us to to um, to make decisions again about how we're going to respond, but also just to see, see different views, to see and understand and choose to engage with different viewpoints, even if we don't agree with them to, to be willing to step into those spaces and look for that gray. Whereas when we move into those cynical spaces, I think we've stopped looking for that nuance. We've stopped trying to understand the different point of view and we've just kind of started to other, um, you know, otherize people and say, oh, those other people, they're the ones that are causing the problem or they're the ones doing they, they, they. Um, whereas I think critical thinking stays a little bit more internal to us to say, how can I look at this situation differently? One of the ways um, I have heard it described is reserving the right to learn and grow in the future. Hmm. So if in the midst of critically thinking through something, 
I can in myself, like I can be saying to myself, all right, now you need to reserve the right <laughs> to be mm-hmm. wrong. You need to reserve the right to learn and grow um, and for God to reveal something to you in the future. I mean, like for, mm-hmm. for you to understand more about this from God's perspective than you understand right in this moment. That keeps me humble. Humility is a huge part of this conversation. It's one of the, I think, significant things that you talk about in the book. Can you talk about the role of humility in, um, in all of this? Yeah, when I started uh, doing these workshops for churches, and then as I wrote the book, it became really clear to me that it it the fact checking is important, um, and I'm happy to provide people with tools to do that. But at the end of the day, a lot of the conversations I was having with folks really came down to a lot more either personal things that they were learning or their relationships. And I felt like it was really important to talk about as you fact check um, or as you engage online that we don't want to... S- I don't think we want to stay in any kind of echo chamber, right? It's like exactly what you're saying. We we can reserve the right to be wrong and say, I, I'm learning and growing. And so that the act of practicing humility and saying, I might not know all the answers, I think is really powerful for the way we engage with other people and how we um, build relationships. And as so much of our world is becoming more and more online and even our relationships, right? How we engage with people is often through social media. Um, having that ability to say, I, I don't know the answer. I I think can really make a difference in how we engage with the people around us. And at the end of the day, I think that's, that's what it's all about is how do we love other people well? And if we stay in our own echo chamber in our own world and our own ideas without kind of practicing that humility, I think we miss out on the opportunity to engage well with other people. Kampala, Uganda. So when I say those words, um, what comes to the surface for you? Yeah, I lived there uh, for a couple of years before I moved to Minnesota. So for me, it brings a lot of um, the the people come to mind, my friends that are there, um, the the people I got to work with, the students. Um, um, definitely the better better weather comes to mind too, <laughs> um, but mostly the people. Tell us what it's like, um, because I think that um, meeting people, going other places and meeting other people absolutely influences how I consume the news and how I communicate um, about what is happening in my own space and place, particularly on social media, because I recognize there's a global audience to that. And so um, how would a person in Kampala, Uganda, hear what I'm saying um, or, you know, or or understand what uh, the reality that I'm describing, um, not just, you know, my next door neighbor in middle Tennessee or, uh, you know, or central Minnesota. So tell us a little bit what life was like uh, or what life is like in in Kampala, Uganda. Yeah, it's been a a few years since I've been back to visit. Um, But when I was there, um, I've been there a few times and um, I had the opportunity to be a librarian there at a couple of small theological colleges. And so I had the opportunity to work with students and um, doing a lot of the same things I do here in the States, but with people from other cultures. And I it's. I was really cognizant of, you know, living in a different culture and and what does it look like to to do the work I do as a librarian, but in a different culture. So I I I had to ask a lot of questions, you know, like how how did how do you do this? How do you do that? What's important here? What are your values? Um, And and the life there was 
I mean, it's the same as it is here in some ways, right? You still have to cook your food and do your laundry and, and do all of those things. But at the same time, I had the opportunity to learn to live with people who were different than me. And I worked with students that were from all over East Africa. And so hearing them talk about their home lives and the way their families functioned um, was really exciting. And, and it was a really cool opportunity. I talk about it a little bit, even in the book, some of the lessons that I learned um, and how I've been able to continue to apply those to what I do here. Um, and I'm still in touch with some of those people and they continually, you know, reach out and, and tell us, um, the updates and, and what they're doing and how their, those colleges are, are going like the work they're doing in the colleges. And, um, you know, East African culture is, is definitely different than, than, um, here in the States and, and in the Midwest, but, um, the people there were really friendly to me and really welcoming. And also I had a lot to learn from them about how to love people. Well, a lot of the folks that I got to know opened their homes to their families, um, and to people around them and were so generous. And so I learned a lot about, you know, what does it look like to be generous with other people and, and how do I live my life in a way that is, is, you know, practicing that kindness towards other people. Um, so those are a few things that come to mind. Um, it was a really, a really great opportunity. Beautiful, right? Right. Um, I mean, particularly Kampala right there on the uh, on the shores of Lake Victoria. Um, and there's a lot of wildlife. And anyway, it, it's beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's a beautiful yeah. part of the world. And um, I was in the, the city, which was really fun to be in an urban setting, but in Africa. Um, and so just to have that experience of, of being in a in a different kind of city and, uh, you know, like being able to walk outside and, and walk to a, a shop or across the literally across the street. And you, there was um, just the opportunity to get to know my neighbors in a different way. Mm. So cool. It's so cool. Hey, um, thank you. Thank you for uh, taking us on a little journey during our conversation today. We appreciate it. It helps us, you know, get to know one another. I think that's the way trust is built. And so look forward to an ongoing conversation with you. Blessings upon your work. The book is Faith and Fake News, A Guide to Consuming Information Wisely. Rachel Whiteman is the author. You can also find her at Concordia University, where um, she serves as the Associate Director for Instruction and Outreach, which is like a fancy librarian. Mm -hmm. There you go. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, coming full circle today, let's return to our verse of the day from Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. The Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. (laughs) Oh, how we need wisdom and how we need knowledge and understanding and how we need uh, the, the gift of common sense today. The passage goes on. God is a shield to those who walk with integrity, a guard to the paths of the just, a protector to those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, and you will find the right way to go. If you're looking for the right way to go today, um, don't move. Seek God. See where God's going, and then go with him. Because trust me, that's definitely the right way. Thank you so much for the precious gift of this shared time today. I know that it is your most valuable resource, and it's ever fleeting, and we never get more of it. So time together is totally precious. Thank you for sharing yours with me. Have a great day and God bless.
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.